I think entrepreneurs, there's always something burning within them. We're like wild animals. And, you know, if you put us into a very contained environment, we wouldn't really exist and we wouldn't thrive. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. As the Eurythmic song says, sisters are doing it for themselves. And in the food game, the Kemps certainly have. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genwright, and today I'll be speaking with Peaches Kemp, who along with her sister, Domini, brought New York-style bagels to Ireland with their food company, Itza. Went over in the summer of 1999, met H&H Bagels over there bought 80,000 of them stuck how many? 80,000 80, on one frozen container now I don't know about you but I certainly love a good bagel the intense doughiness and the particular tang of the bread but when the Kemp sisters launched their business in the 90s they were little known here they were very exotic and, um, and uh, as somebody once asked me they were like why are you importing dogs and they thought they were beagles the bagels sold like hotcakes, but as our tastes changed, the business had to follow food fashion. The wonderful uh, Fergal Nocton said, uh, if you don't innovate, you'll evaporate. And it's very true. Today we'll hear about Peach's recipe for success, the travails of running restaurants, and why she and her sister are not interested in growing too big. Peaches, lovely to meet you. Um, what is it, do you think, that makes us all love a good bagel I think it's uh, well certainly for us in what, with what we do it's about the fantastic fillings that we put in it so it's but it's about uh, certainly getting a bagel and baking it the right way it's very important that you boil bagels in terms of how you make them. So in the States and what we do over here, because we now have the bagels here in Ireland, it's about making them, boiling them and then baking them. It gives them that wonderful moisture. And where do some of them go wrong? Because I'm sure lots of us have, have bitten into a, mm. a nice bagel and expected like doughy amazingness, but been a bit disappointed. So where do the, the, the bad bagels go wrong? Well, I think it's that. I think it's the quality of the ingredients that they use. And I think that goes for everything in food, to be honest with you. Um, when food goes wrong, it's usually because of poor ingredients. Mm. So what made you think that bagels were going to be a hit in Ireland? Well, Domini, my sister and I started this back in 1999. And uh, I think the two of us at that stage of our lives, we had found ourselves jobless because uh, we had our relationships had gone on the skids. And uh, so what we decided, we both were qualified chefs and we were looking to open up a lunchtime place. Uh, we had worked together for many years. Uh, I had a catering company. And uh, so we wanted to do something that was different. And so we thought, well, you know, if we're going to do a lunchtime cafe and do sandwiches, what is going to be that point of difference? And we'd spent a lot of time over in the States, uh, in New York, and been educated over there as well. So we went over and we started exploring the idea of bringing bagels into Ireland and went over in the summer of 1999 met H&H Bagels over there uh, took the plunge bought 80,000 of them stuck how many? 80,000 80, on one frozen container wow. shipped them over here and uh, decided that we would 
get really, really fantastic fillings. So we also made all of those ourselves and had all these bagels sitting in storage on the on, in the docks on frozen storage wow. and launched the company. It was <laughs> a big punt. How long did it take you to burn through those 80,000 bagels? Uh, funnily enough, it wasn't too long because, yeah. you know, it, it it took off. It was a slow burner to start with and then it took off after about six, six, six months or so. So we did get there and, and we uh, sold millions since. And your, and your next order was for how many from H&H? The same. It, you had Another to do 80,000 at a time. You know, the big 40 foot reefer uh, yeah. containers that you see in the back of trucks? That's what we had to bring in. Okay. Yeah. So what was the food scene like back then? In, what was it, 1999, you yeah, said? Yeah, And how exotic did bagels seem at the time? They were very exotic. And, and uh, as somebody once asked me, they were like, why are you importing dogs? And they thought they were beagles. So it was just <laughs> like, oh, no, we've got an awfully long way to go Did they have to go to quarantine? One. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we had so far to go with this. And, you know, in terms of uh, making people aware of what a bagel was. Now, anyone who had spent time in the States was aware of it, but it just shows what the food culture was like at that stage. It had not reach the international level that we're at now. Um, so, I mean, the most exotic thing was sort of, you know, uh, was going into O'Brien's was the most exotic sandwich in Dublin at the time. So, and it was just a sliced pan. Yeah, no, it was just, you know, but it, like they were very good. But we were just looking at it and going, there, there's got to be something more we can do with this. And then it came to the fillings. Yeah, And absolutely. that's where your kind of chefy know-how came yeah, into it. Absolutely. And those those same fillings we're still making today. Really? And that's the great thing about it. We designed all these, these, these bagels with names like the Mountaineer, the Californian, the Club. And all those ingredients that we had in them, we were making ourselves like the caramelised onions, the basil mayo, all those things. So we're still doing what we did 20 years ago. So what's, what's your favourite? The Californian. The Californian. Yeah. What's in that? That is an onion bagel and it has streaky, crispy, crispy, streaky bacon, mozzarella, um, basil mayonnaise, avocado and lettuce. Oh my goodness. Mm. My mouth is watering. Yeah, It's a good hangover food. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well I could definitely do with a few of them. And what about, you mentioned caramelised onions. That's another favourite mm. of mine. What, what yeah, does, that's what on does, the holy cow. What do they go into? And the holy cow. Yeah. The holy cow with roast beef and horseradish mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato and the caramelised onions. Okay. So what's the, the the, 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 you know the popular favourite I mean your favourite is a Californian mm. but what's the, the, the customer's favourite the club is, the, is, is definitely the favourite mm-hmm. so you know great loyal following still after all these years but uh, it's it's just amazing to see people that really really loyal to the brand to the brand and any that didn't work down through the years any fillings yeah let me see not a huge amount of them, you know. I mean, there are some things that we've taken off. We used to do make a cream cheese with smoked salmon and dill. Well, that's that's and kind of the standard. The standard. But, you know, people were going for the other stuff. It's really? like Because I think what we do is we really build a bagel that's almost like that deli sandwich that you get in the States. Mm. So it's really packed full of full of ingredients. So I think the, the cream cheese and the smoked salmon, it just, you know, not as, not as much as you'd think. And what's the most adventurous thing you put on the menu? Oh, my goodness. No. The time um, you ask people to really take a leap of faith. <laughs> I don't know. You got me on that one, Ty. But I'd say the, one of the ones that comes around every single year that people actually wait for and they actually they tweet about it is the Santi bagel. It comes in in, in November and it's you know turkey, ham, stuffing, cranberry, mayonnaise, lettuce on an onion bagel. And Sounds phenomenal. Literally, people start emailing us in November and go, when's the Santi coming back? <laughs> what about divisive ingredients though? Like I'm thinking of pineapple, anchovies <laughs> have they ever featured no no okay <laughs> firmly off the menu yes okay so I mean 
I guess like so many of the great food enterprises that mm. have popped up in Ireland in the last you know, 20 years or even longer I suppose since, since you guys were on the scene the idea came from overseas yeah. and I guess that's a kind of a mother of invention really isn't it? Yeah and I think you know and and we still do travel a lot uh, to get ideas um, it's something that's really important and I was listening to Brian Lee and uh, you know on the podcast there and it's just amazing to that you know he went to Australia and that's where he saw the healthy mm. eating and you know we're exactly the same in terms of going abroad looking to see what the trends are coming down the line as well but you know at the end of the day good food is good food you know and you can muck it up an awful lot by you know not treating it with respect but if you have good quality ingredients you know you will have good food You and your sister though had a more kind of international upbringing than most tell us a bit about that We were born in the Bahamas and we moved over here in uh, went to school in the States and uh, moved over here in 1982 when our father died and uh, so our mum moved us back she was Irish he was Scottish and uh, stayed here and sort of started cooking and riding horses and you know doing all sorts of different entrepreneurial things in terms of I started up my own little catering company she had she was uh, riding horses internationally show jumpers and had a tack shop so we've always had that entrepreneurial spirit to go and do something and 82 I mean Ireland was a very different place very then different place. yeah absolutely right. and what it was, was it like trying to make a splash in the culinary scene then well I mean I suppose it was Again, it's going back to networking and trying to find, you know, the niche and what you actually want to do and what you want to serve. So it's getting the message out there, um, Mm. I think so. But definitely uh, what we saw was that there was really no culinary scene here when we arrived. So what was it you think that gave you that that entrepreneurial spirit that you brought with you uh, to Ireland? I think... We've always we've always had it, and I think entrepreneurs there's always something burning within them. I think they are going to usually be entrepreneurial or not, and I think both of us had that and have it. Um, and I think that's what you know you probably find with most entrepreneurs. They're kind of we're a bit wild wild spirits, you know, and are like wild animals. And you know, if you put us into a very contained environment, we wouldn't wouldn't really exist and we wouldn't thrive. I think we thrive by being able to go out and to take on things and uh, and really sort of risk take risks and I think that's what entrepreneurs are so what we did is we took food our love and our passion for food and we put it with that entrepreneurial spirit and decided to do something for ourselves which are you you know which trait do you think is the stronger the, the business person or the, the, the food person or are they kind of they, they go both hand, they in, go hand, hand. in hand they go hand in hand and I think it's it's really a question of you know what do you want to achieve what is it that drives you what's your passion and what do you want to change as well and I think that's what it is so food is the niche and that's and that's the area but it's like what do you want to do and how do you want to change it and what do you actually want to achieve okay what was it like when you tried to to, to get that original itza off the ground i mean talk to me about where you were in your lives uh, what experience you'd had of actually running a business for yourselves at that stage well you know what i think we just learned on the job it was literally fly by the seat of your pants we had no funding um we couldn't get a bank loan um and i think it was one of those things we just you know, had a vision and were determined to do it. We had our mum was a fantastic support in terms of saying, you need, you know, believe in yourselves, go out and do it. What's the worst that can happen? If you fail, you fail, you pick yourself back up and 
move on. And, and I think that's really important. It's better to try and to fail than not try at all. So for us, it was really about just going out there and going for it. And, you know, we really believed in what we were going to do. And we also had a, you know, we were thinking, well, if bagels don't work, we can always do really nice bread. So, you know, have that backup plan, have something else that you can do, see how you can shift the direction if it's not working. Um, so for us, it was really about just going forward and doing it as but much. if you couldn't get a bank loan where did the money come from? Uh, literally from the sale of Dominic's house and uh, some savings that we had as well so and it was no more than that wasn't a huge amount of money that we needed to be honest with you but at the same time you know you're sitting there going well I'm investing in this myself so I think at that stage you really have to make it work mm. you know it's your savings it's your money It is um, I mean I know it's a family business and it wasn't your house but I mean you know in the in the family was there any kind of things like Dominic's selling her house for this <laughs> yeah. we got to make this work Work. You do have to make it work, absolutely. And I think it puts more pressure on you, you know, especially with family relationships at that stage. Mm. What's it like running a business with your sister? It's great. It's really fantastic. Uh, I think we're very lucky and very unique because we're best friends as well as being sisters and business partners. Um, probably the early days were, uh, you know, the, you, you're, you're sort of trying to figure out your roles. You're trying to figure out personalities. And, and certainly we were much younger. So, you know, you're sort of probably more fiery in tempers and less patient and, and less experienced. But as you go through the years and you go through the ups and downs of business, you really come to understand that that person is there as your rock. And and I think it's very important to manage that relationship, whether it's your family or whether it's a business partner, it's managing and nurturing that relationship. So we're very, very lucky. Like, we absolutely adore each other. And But that can, we could kill each other well, at times. Say, there must be times when you're sick of the sight of her. Yeah, absolutely. And vice versa, and vice versa I'm sure. Versa. Yeah, absolutely. And, my, and, you know, I think with family, you can probably be more honest than you would be maybe with somebody who wasn't. So you're going to say things that are, you know, can sometimes cut to the bone. But always bring it back. Okay, I'm going to... Any times when she was right and you were wrong and vice versa, any times you were right and she were wrong? Lots. Lots. Absolutely lots. <laughs> but what you don't do is you don't gloat on the time when you're right. Ah. You know, really important not to do that. I think that's um, <laughs> that's very good advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So talk to me about the obstacles in, in getting that first shop off the ground and, and, and introducing your concept to... to to Dublin at the time. Yeah. So as I said, certainly it was uh, getting getting the funding together, um, literally getting all the logistics together in terms of, you know, hiring people. Do we hire anyone? At, at the start, it was just the two of us finding a location. Um, fantastic location at the time in the Epicurean Food Hall. Very unique place. Um, very ahead of its time as well. Um, and really then getting the message out about what we were doing. And I think that's one of the you know really important things with the business is you start it you have to engage with your customer and let your customer know that you're there um so that you know social media wasn't around at that yeah stage. i mean how do you get the message out without twitter exactly and the like exactly no yeah. so that was really really important so you're sitting there so it was very much about nurturing relationships with the press and and going and pitching what we were doing um so and you know it, it was an article in the irish times in may of 2000 that really changed things for us it was in the old weekender section it was a half page spread and literally we saw turnover double overnight and then just continue and it was amazing but it was that power of that one article by Louise East 
just changed things completely for us. And then everyone else followed, wow. you know, and on, everyone else came along wanting to know more about us as well. But that one article changed us. And that kind of put the accelerator. Is that when you started moving into to other locations? Yeah, we moved in. Uh, we found Dunleary in 2001, um, and but had started looking at uh, really around September 2000. We were going, yeah, this is actually going to work. This concept, people like this, you know, we, mm-hmm. we knew we had something that was going to have legs. So we started looking for the other locations then at that stage. And and then the growth spurt <coughs> continued just yeah but not as fast as we would have expected because the Celtic Tiger was in full swing and property was crazy um, mad money for, for locations so we weren't able to expand the way that we would have you know that it would have been sort of it, it just wasn't easy at that time because you're taking all your profits and so much of it is going into key money and the location before you've even done the fit out so we were really quite cautious I think Pretty remarkable that, you know, at a time when the economy is was doing well, or so we thought at the time, yeah. uh, that, you know, a, a burgeoning young business such as yours was at the time was was limited in its growth potential. Yeah, and I, I think where we were lucky was that we didn't go and try and get too much uh, in terms of bank loans to write to expand really rapidly, because mm. I think that would have bitten us badly when the recession did come. So we were very lucky. Our level of debt wasn't really high when the recession came along. And the recession, funnily enough, was our friend to a certain extent because we actually doubled the size of the company, uh, created new brands. Um, So it was really quite incredible how that changed us. And also, you know, where we went to with the business even before the the recession, uh, we started looking at other opportunities again because property was so restrictive. It It did feel like whenever the recession first you know hit back in what was it 2010 or so that suddenly Dublin's restaurant scene and restaurants all over the country started taking off in a way that you you wouldn't really expect there was a very quiet period when everyone was kind of like oh good god what the hell has just happened but then you know foodie culture seemed to take off even more yeah and I think it's because property became accessible at that stage you know there wasn't everyone like landlords were stuck with empty premises so it became very easy but also then what you also had was people who couldn't get jobs in the sectors in which they had specialised or trained or, you know, been educated in. And suddenly they took a different path. And there are a number of them who, who did that and have opened up absolutely amazing restaurants. But again, very small, not with, you know, huge trimmings of furniture, etc. Did it on a shoestring budget. And that's where we've seen the culture, the cafe culture and the restaurant culture change. And that's cool. It's fantastic. It's yeah. really great. Because you don't want to go to big, kind of bland, wannabe chains. We like little, it's you know, lovely. pokey, funky yeah, places. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Look, look at the fumbly around the corner here from you. It's amazing, you know, just lovely. And now that the, shall we say, good times feel like they're they're on their way back. I know not everyone feels that way. Um, you know, are you are you worried about the the impact on on the restaurant scene? I mean, might there be some restaurants that find? You know, there's a, a a bland chain is going to be moving into their premises instead. Well, I think what we need to be careful of is uh, just the whole sector becoming overheated. You know, there's Ireland's not huge. So, you know, we have to be careful that there isn't just more and more and more because what it does is it dilutes down the market. But at the same time, I think there is huge room for really good quality. Um, and I think it's I think it's important that people still focus, though, on looking at it as a business and keeping their costs under control, looking at everything and not just thinking, well, wow, everything's great now so I can do this and kind of do it in a slightly casual 
casual way or not being hugely focused it has to it really has to run itself but anyone old enough to remember the Celtic Tiger years will remember a time when you were forking out through the nose mm-hmm. for food which very often was Pure, pure shite in yeah. some cases. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I just wonder, is there? do you think there's a danger that could come back again? Yeah, I think we need to be very, very careful of that because when when things are good in the economy, people just take, you know, they take it for granted that people are going to come in and eat with them. And, you know, that there's, it's sort of like the rising tide, you know, uh, and it, it, that just doesn't work. People will vote with their feet, you know, and if you do something poorly, they won't come back into your premises. But I think we have to be very careful of just not running away with ourselves. Even if we get to a stage where it's, you know, it's Friday night, I want to go out, I haven't made a booking and mm. the only place I can get is something that, you know, isn't actually that good. Then cook cook for yourself at home. Oh. I shouldn't be saying that in a, as a restaurateur. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, it's just, you know, it has to be good quality. And I think, you know, that's... But that's what we've seen come into the sector, though. There's an awful lot of really fantastic places and people doing it at a good price. And, you know, long may that last. Okay, Peaches Kemp, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much. Do stay with us, of course, because still to come on the Architects of Business, we'll be hearing more of Peaches' thoughts about enterprise and food culture here in Ireland. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on thearchitectsofbusiness at joe.ie. Peaches, if there was... One thing that was really key to your success, what do you think that was? I think for the I think the longevity of our success is based on completely as is on change, constant adaptation, um, looking at the market, reacting to the market. Um, and I think it's something that we all have to do in business. Uh the wonderful uh, Fergal Norton said, uh, if you don't innovate, you'll evaporate. And it's very true. So I think that's been a key to our business is being able to uh, to innovate, to move in different directions quickly and to react to market changes. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, do, do you think some uh, even food formats such as just as it's or any of the food formats out there, once they kind of get going and they're focused on growth, do they lo- lose focus on the actual product they're selling and keeping consumers interested? Yeah. And I think you have to maintain that consistency um, with your product all the way through. And I think that's what we've been able to do. And it's something that we're very, very focused on. Um, I think it's also engaging with your customer to see what what their uh, dietary requirements are, where they're going with how they want to eat as well. Um, so I think it's 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 about constantly listening to your customer. Mm. I mean, what, what kind of dietary requirements are we talking about here? Things like gluten-free and yeah, a, big push, a bigger push on, on vegetarian and vegan foods now. That's definitely, that's there. And, you know, and again, on healthy eating. And I think, but it's about having that balance. But um, there are a lot more uh, dietary requirements. We're much more aware of allergies uh, these days. We're all aware of you know our weight our health etc so it's about having that balance there um so you know we offer gluten-free options right across the board we're very very strong on that it's something that you know you have to be able to go in somewhere and say i'm a celiac what do you have on the menu for me so when we design uh dishes when we we're designing a product etc it's all about making sure that there's someone for something for everyone in the audience yeah absolutely i mean uh 
you know, the, the, you're not confined just to, to, to bagels anymore, although no. that was your starting point. You even, it used to be called It's a Bagel, and yes. now, it's just, now it's just It's a. Yeah. And it's not just limited to that. No. What no. else is there? So in 2000, and it was, again, uh, when sort of the, the Celtic Tiger was in, in, was in full whack, as, as they say. Um, in 2005, we opened up a restaurant in Sandman called It's a Four, um, and that led into us going and uh, running the restaurant for Brown Thomas down in Cork. Uh, we're still down there running that for them 12 years later um, and then when the recession hit we started uh, looking at other opportunities we run uh, the cafe for the Irish Museum of Modern Art up in Emma um, and uh, we're still up there and that's going to be rebranding as Kemp Sisters very, so- oh. very soon um, and then we, when the recession really really took a bite uh, we looked at where else we could go and you know other opportunities um, and uh, funnily enough we started Joe's uh, coffee so oh. Joe there you are so Joe's coffee and it was speciality coffee and again saw how this was starting to take off in Europe and in the States as well over in, in California um, and created that as a healthy you know healthy eating option um, as well as fantastic coffee uh, really great sandwiches great salads uh, great coffee and cakes and then we uh, established Alchemy which is uh, all about you know healthy salads cold pressed juices so looking at where the market was always the market was leading us if you know what I mean you know you're 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 innovating but you're hearing what's happening with people's dietary uh, wishes and why was that the right approach versus kind of taking it's a uh even bigger because you know it, it's not omnipresent it's not everywhere no, it's no, not no, like O'Brien's no. was yeah, yeah. even when you started out yeah I think for us it's um, we're we're not into becoming absolutely enormous uh, it never has been on our wish list it's about maintaining the quality keeping small focused very in touch with everything you know I, we go into all the, all the branches we know everyone in the branches they know us so you know it's lovely to be that director that the you know the person running that business and when you walk in the, the staff know you so with all this, the locations that we have and we also have Hatch and Sons which is an Irish kitchen so it's lovely to be able to walk into all those and see everyone but also know what's going on in the ground and being very in touch on a daily basis with every single aspect of the business but when you talk about you know pursuing uh, you know what people want mm. the different dietary fads of the moment alchemy is very you know salad focus and things yeah. like that you know next week you could have the World Health Organization telling us we all need to be eating five potatoes a day <laughs> uh, I mean you know well then we'll do the that come and it's I saw a piece the other week saying like pasta is actually a slow GI carb and actually we should be eating more of it yeah. having avoided pasta like the plague yeah. For, for, yeah. for a long time is there a danger in kind of throwing too much into one particular fad absolutely and I think and it, because they can be fads and they come and go and I think it's 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 literally taking a little bit of everything because I think if you put all your eggs in one basket that basket suddenly falls you know over to the side and you're finding as you said you know that everything that you believed has been turned on its head and that constantly happens with the medical profession as well and the the all the investment and all the research they're putting into diet and how it has such an effect on our health so I think you have to be very uh, balanced is what I would say. And that's the way that we would try to look at the business and run the business is in a balanced, measured way. Nothing extreme. Don't go and just do one thing over here. Because you know what? In six months or 
you know, two years time, people will be fed up with that and they'll move on. And that's the way we all are. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure people were too worried about carbs whenever uh, you would have launched back no, in the day. No, so yeah. when people started like swearing off bread, yeah. did you did you experience it as yeah, it were in terms absolutely. of a downturn? Absolutely. You know, you, you could see that everything was, the market was starting to shift. So you do find that. And we, you know, we put a few salads into it's a bagel, but at the same time, you know, it it's is bagel. about bagels, exactly. you know, so like we're not, it's a salad. So yeah. at the same, so we were like, no, stay true to what you're doing. This is the product here. Um, and, you know, people will come because they like that product. Yes, we'll, you'll get people who will go off, you know, and try something else. But when they want a bagel, they'll come back because it's a really good sandwich at the mm. end of the day. So it, it's it's about having faith and not and not losing that confidence in your product as long as you have a good product. Are there any kind of particular uh, concepts or food fads or, or recipes that you've looked at doing or even started putting a brand behind it and then thought, actually, nah, this has not got staying power or it's not something I want to be involved with? Yeah, no, I think we'd be, there, there are certain things that we just, you know, if it's, if it's uh, you know, deep fried and loaded with sugar and fat and everything, wouldn't go near it, you know? Um, so it has to be something that we want to eat ourselves, you know, and... Uh, I love my food. I love good, tasty food, but I love fresh food and really good quality food. So our our you know uh, ethos is I wouldn't serve anything to a customer that I wouldn't eat myself. Have you ever felt um, under pressure, I suppose, by you know whatever be rents or other costs of doing business <clears throat> to to make cuts on things like ingredients? No, no, you can't. You can go and try and buy better, but uh, and that's just about negotiating with your suppliers. Um, but uh, no. I wouldn't go and substitute margarine for butter or anything like that. I just wouldn't do it. But how much, you know, stock do you have to put into whether your, you know, your lunchtime bagel costs five, six, seven or eight euro? I mean, how much does that impact uh, the likelihood of consumers to actually part with their cash? In terms of, yeah, in terms of their their perception of price point. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge because they'll look at it and go, God, you know, that's like 650. Why is that so much? But, you know, what you're looking at is not only the cost of the raw ingredients, you're looking at your staffing costs, you're looking at your insurance, your rent, your rates, your electricity, all those sorts of things. So all of those things, it's just like you have the, the base of your, of your sandwich and then you're building all these costs up on top of it and then you get to what the actual cost is and that's your margin at the end of the day Mm -hmm. so uh, you have to take there's an awful lot to take into consideration and and it's a low margin business are there any particular ingredients which we might we the ordinary Joe public might not appreciate are surprisingly expensive to put into uh, into some of your products um uh, you know what? I think when you have, you know, you go for good quality stuff, it's always going to be that little bit more expensive. Like we could go and buy processed meats and things like that that are already baked in factory, etc. that would come to us. All we'd have to do is slice them and, you know, put them out. And there are a lot of places that would do that. We wouldn't. We buy the raw ingredient in. We cook it ourselves. We slice it ourselves. You know, so it's it's about the provenance and 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 it's about the integrity of the product as well. Mm. Avocados are very expensive, aren't they? Oh yes, they are. And they're good, <laughs> and there there's a lot of waste on them as well. Really? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you think about it, you know, because oh, they go brown the after, and they go brown very quickly, yeah. etc. And some are ripe, and some are not, and you might get a day on them. So yeah. <laughs> so what's the the best part of your you know your day at work? 
getting up in the morning and looking at it's very sad looking at my computer and saying what do I have to do today I love just getting up and seeing what I want to achieve every day you know going into the shops going into uh, maybe a new location something that we've just started as well Um, it's that buzz of service it's that buzz of seeing customers come in uh, the interaction with them Um, my day is multifaceted you know and I think because and Dominic and I we sort of take different divisions of the business and look after them because otherwise you'd be busy fools running around doing a little bit of everything so you know very much keeping in touch you know talking to my teams first thing in the morning what's on and then just taking it from there and going very much my day will be dictated by how things are going in the business of course I have my meetings and things that are slotted in there but um, I love just getting up in the morning and thinking about what the challenge of the day is Is your, is your life a bit like a bowl of fruit and fibre it's never the same day twice <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very definitely. Yeah, I mean, what, what's a kind of um, uh, what's a good day versus a bad day? Um, a good day is uh, no complaints, <laughs> no customer complaints, uh, no one phoning in sick. Um, you know, uh, deliveries going out smoothly overnight. Uh, you know, not getting those early morning phone calls. When I, you know, when I wake up and I see missed phone calls, then I'm going, uh, uh-uh, there's Uh-oh, something wrong. Something's yeah, wrong. Yeah. So those are those are the good days. Are you ever still out there in the, on the front line yeah. or do you have to muck in? Oh, no, absolutely. All the time. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely love it. And like sometimes my favourite place is washing the dishes. And uh, I know that sounds silly, but it's great. I just love getting stuck in. We both, Dominic's exactly the same. And I mean, I would imagine, though, it's very important for you guys to, to, to be on the front line. So you're connected, even mm. more connected mm. to, to, to customers. You yeah. can experience firsthand their their changing demands. Yeah, but it and it's 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 lovely serving them and getting that feedback you know and um, being able to have the chat because you know your customer is king and you know I know that sounds like such an old cliche but it's true and somebody recently said you know your customer is the most powerful person in your business they have the ability to fire the CEO they have the ability to you know do all sorts of things because if they vote with their feet and they don't come into your business your your business is going down the tubes so your customer is the number one focus of your business so I love going in I love being behind the counter and being on the till I love clearing tables I love all that interaction it's great there is that popular phrase, obviously, and everyone's heard it. The customer's always right. Mm-hmm. There must have been plenty of times where the customer was pretty damn wrong and you had to just kind I'm of grin and bear it. I'm never going to admit to that. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a nugget. Come on. Listen, there are times when you have to sit there and just smile through grated teeth. But you know what? You just you have to listen to it. My mother used to say in every accusation, there's a degree of truth. And you might not want to hear it. And yeah, you might get someone who's completely and utterly unreasonable. But at the same time, that's the business that I'm in, that we're all in. You know, you have to listen. Okay. What does chill out time look like? Chill out. uh, Yoga. Uh, getting away on yoga retreats uh, whenever I can love that Uh, I play golf not very well as someone said I mean brilliant or brutal and that just about sums it up Um, going out having lovely meals with friends and family Um, that's that's my chill what's your favourite shall we say member of the competition when it comes to going out for one of those lovely meals Uh, favourite restaurants Mm. yeah Uh, love Eto Uh, love Junior's um, Lucio's mm-hmm. um, there are lots of them yeah and any other places you'd stop for for a quick lunch in the way that you hope people will stop for a quick lunch with I'm you I'm not going to tell you all the opposition <laughs> no all my places <laughs> naturally naturally do you get enough time to kind of chill out do you think 
Probably not as much as I should. Yeah. 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 And I think it is, it's, it's very difficult to take. I think actually it, it's a discipline to take time out of your work. And I think it's something that you have to discipline yourself to do. Um, and that if you do take that time out of work, that you turn the phone off, that you turn your email off, that you don't get involved. I was away recently and I left the phone on. And big mistake. Big mistake. Something went pear-shaped, you know, mm. three days into my holiday. And I spent the next three days trying to sort it out and the holiday was over, you know. So that's that's the discipline to say, you know what, you guys look, at it, look after it at home. I'm going and just taking some downtime. And I have to say, whenever I hear about people putting or airlines putting Wi-Fi on planes, mm. I feel like saying, know. do you know something? Don't. Don't, no. you're fine. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, I think it's, and, and uh, we had a wonderful uh, uh, woman called Neve Fitzpatrick come in and talk to us um, in the EY programme there in one of the um, Spring Energizer, which is an, uh, an event that we organise every March for the EOI programme. And she was the one, she said, put that phone away. She said, you have to give yourself that time to just spend on your own. And you find that's very useful, you know, the, the, the opportunity to, to chew the fat with other entrepreneurs and learn about you know, the issues they're facing and, and, and how that's kind of helped you, uh, you know, weather some storms. Sure. Um, I'm, we were very lucky, myself and Dominic, to be nominated for the EY Entrepreneur of the, of the Year programme back in 2011 um, and uh, really didn't realise at the time what a powerful uh, community and network it is um, and I'm very lucky to now be the chair of the alumni board um, and it's something that's really uh, so important as we've uh, we've all discovered having been very lucky to be nominated into this programme is the power of the alumni, the networking, the entrepreneurship, the sharing of stories, the um, to be able to also talk about failures. I think we all talk about successes so much but to talk about failures and that's something that entrepreneurs and especially in this format uh, as a community, we do and really help each other. Um, so I think it's something that's that's so important. I think it's 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 also about giving back. It's about mentoring. Um, there's a huge amount uh, that we do. Are there any particular little you know small failures down through the years that you were able to, to to introduce to the other alumni as as cautionary tales? Well, I think you know what you do is you you hear stories and from other and certainly you know we've had our failures uh, absolutely and. and you learn from them and if you don't learn from them then you're a fool because you know that's the, that's the whole point of, of you know uh, failure is something that makes you stronger um, and if it doesn't make you stronger then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing you know mm. you've got to take that and dust yourself off and move forward so I think you know the, the community is, is a really, really important one because what we try to do is we try to nurture entrepreneurship. Um, we try to engage with government as well uh, to, to nurture uh, entrepreneurship because that, I think that's something that's very important for Ireland. Um, it, it's, it's something that really needs uh, focus and recognition because what the entrepreneurial community and what entrepreneurs put back into the economy is absolutely massive. What things didn't work for you and what did you learn from them? Um, we had uh, we had certain contracts that uh, that we lost over the years um, and what I learned was with one particular one uh, was just not to put all my eggs in one basket and you know sometimes you you go along and you think oh this is great it's going to go on forever and if you lose that contract and you have put too much into it or you have just you're depending on it too much it uh, it 
can shape the rest of your business. Yeah, no matter how, how hard you work and how good a job you do, some people just want change for the sake Absolutely, of change. Absolutely, and it happens to all of us. And But what was great is we learned from that and, uh, again, moved on and learned how to diversify and make ourselves stronger so that if it did happen again, that we wouldn't get sort of rattled by it. So that's, as I said, those, those failures should make you stronger. You were saying earlier you, you don't want it to, be, to become massive. Mm. Is that mm. part of the reason why that you, you like your work-life balance as, as, as it is or, or, you know, within the realm of where it is? No, I mean, I'd like, I have nothing against expansion. I think expansion is good and that's what we've done all along. But uh, certainly for us, doing it on a very large scale is not something that we want to do because we're very much focused on the quality. And, you know, and I think you when it becomes too big, then you you can't look after everything you can't focus on that quality as as personally as you can when you're slightly smaller so uh so certainly it's about yes we would love to expand and we will always take opportunity and do that but at the same time not at the cost of quality and you have to be very careful in that balance do you think is it absolutely impossible to have you know lots of restaurants you know a chain that's on most street corners or Mm. you know most town centers and still have the type of quality that you guys offer? Well, I think there are some that do it very well um, internationally and, um, you know, and, and nationally as well. But I think that uh, it's it's something that you have to have really good teams in place um, going and checking that uh, constantly. So, you know, if you've got the systems in place, then, yeah, it probably can work very, very well. And they, it does work, you know, and there. But I don't think that that is particularly for us. Have you ever thought about, you know, entertain the idea of bringing other people into into the business, you know, be it other investors or other people internationally who have experience of building something bigger? Have you ever yeah, thought about that? absolutely. And certainly would always look at that and welcome that. Uh, you know, they, it's certainly, I think you have to look at what opportunities present themselves and then make your decision accordingly. Mm-hmm. So I think you shouldn't preclude anything, uh, you know, from uh, anyone or anyone from coming into your business. Uh, but I think always to be measured about it. Um, and yeah, no, I definitely would, would look at that. And what, you know, when you're looking for the right people, mm. just individuals to bring in, what are the qualities you look for? Well, I think chemistry in, ha- in terms of how you get on are going to be very, very important. That you have the same mindset about what you want to achieve um, and how you're going to do it. Uh, I think you, but the chemistry of getting on with that person or those people is going to be very important to the success of the business. So you have to have the same vision. You have to have the same goal. And you have to, I think, also have the same amount of integrity and ethics in how you want to do it. So are you going to just do something and make it huge at the cost of X, Y, and Z? Or are you going to build something and, you know, be really proud of it? So I think you may, it's like a marriage. You must make sure that whoever you get, uh, you know, as a partner into your business has those same uh, qualities as, uh, and values as yourself. And you probably, you need somebody who you will trust enough yeah. that, you know, on the day when you wake up and you're, mm. you're feeling rotten for one reason or another, that you can actually say, actually, let's let, they can handle it for today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's part of the vetting process, I suppose. Yeah. So what is the, what does the next year, what does the next five years look like for it, so? We're always looking at opportunity. There are a few uh, pots on the boil at the moment, which is really I love exciting. All these food puns. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> that wasn't intended. But God, God, oh no, no, corny. Anyway, um, yeah. So there are yes, a few uh, pots on the boil, and uh, very exciting opportunities uh, that uh, unfortunately I can't talk about here Ooh. right now. But uh, yeah, something that we would look, be looking forward to. I have to say, well, we all look forward to tasting them. Thank you very much, Peaches Kemp. Thank you very much. 
My pleasure. Thank you, Ty. Thanks for joining us today in the Architects of Business. Thanks to our guest, Peaches Kemp, our producer, Patrick Hohey, and all the team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to eoy.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't miss out on past or indeed future shows by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch the show on YouTube. And check out some of Joe's other podcasts, including The Hard Yards on Rugby, The GAA Hour, and our movie show, The Big Review Ski. Next week, I'll be talking to the man who put the craft back into Irish beer, Liam Lahart of the Porterhouse Brewing Company. Join me then. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.